Hi. Hello. I'm Julian. I'm Tom. We are Team Binge. Thank you for joining us for episode five of The Last of Us. This episode is called Endor and Survive, which <laughs> are two words that mean something. Sound like Star Wars planets. They do sound like Star Wars planets, planets <laughs> that are no longer with us. This is starting off well. I'm glad we're here. Uh, we've had a number of different things go on from children to storms, uh, acts of God, and the biggest one, it's Valentine's Day. So just <laughs> off camera and off mic, both Tom and I have a significant other staring at us uh, while they slowly sharpen a knife, maybe, I don't know, load a gun. You'll have to describe what's happening on your end. I can only speak to mine, but I've never seen a watermelon smashed with such vigor or anger. So that's what she uses that hammer for. Yes, exactly. Let's kick this off, Tom. I'm going to start by just saying I enjoyed this episode and the swings that were taken. Uh, I enjoyed it. The show continues to kind of surprise in terms of what it's willing to do. And mm -hmm. um, once again, I think I was a little bit afraid that we were just going to be on a journey kind of handling some of the same generic stuff. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, we had a sniper scene in this one, which <laughs> locked me in, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is great. Like, I mean, knowing and, and having played the games, knowing what was going to happen didn't make any of this any easier. And they just did such a fantastic job of capturing, like, the horror of this world and, you know, the kind of the mirrored relationship with Sam and Henry and Ellie and Joel and, and what they're doing here. And I think it's safe to say at this point that the first thing that you do if you run into Joel and Ellie on the road is run the other way. Sure. Everybody they run into just dies. So sure. they are not uh, rabbit's hood for sure. Sure. So that's rule wanna... number one in this world is don't <laughs> is. don't befriend uh, Joel and Ellie? Rule number two. Rule number one is always seatbelts. Rule number okay. two is don't yep. befriend Joel and Ellie. Yep. But it, I also want to start off by saying, well, I'm sorry, did you have a third? My third was just don't eat wheat, but that's kind of a, a rule that I've been trying to follow for years. So who knows? It's working well, man. Mm. Um, but I do want to start off by saying, you, have, you know, all these characters that we've had that have pa crossed the path of Joel and Ellie have just been so phenomenally acted. And this, again, with Henry played by Lamar Johnson and Sam played by Kavon Woodward, just incredible performances. And these stories would not hit as hard if they didn't have these incredible actors, young actors too, playing these these roles. So just want to kind of give props to both both Henry and Sam as, as these actors because they, they crushed it. And just like we saw with Bill and Frank's relationship, it just helps sell this world. And because I mean, a lot of these storylines are really just driving the story of Joel and Ellie, right? Like pushing them either closer together or further away. So it's kind of a bummer that that's kind of the way this is seen, I guess, a little bit. That they're really just a catalyst for Joel and Ellie and their relationship, but uh, incredible episode. I think it's okay that if you have two main characters and the show is about their journey, like, unfortunately, you have to come to expect that everyone that appears in that world is mm -hmm. either going to be there for a brief time and a terrible end, or they're going to be there for a brief time and ride off into the sunset in a different direction. Mm -hmm. At this point, no one's ridden off into the sunset <laughs> on this mortal plane. They've ridden <laughs> off into the sunset 
uh, on that mortal plane. So, mm-hmm. but I agree with you. Yeah, it, it's uh, amazing how much a show can just be better uh, when the actors are good. So I'm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that seems like a crazy thing, but yeah. And <laughs> I don't feel like, you know, sometimes they bring in like big names or people, you know, that are well known. I didn't know either of these two actors and I thought they did a phenomenal job. Some of the other, you know, like Bill and Frank, we had some relationship with those actors, but mm-hmm. um, they, uh, well, yeah, they the- did a great job. Yeah, and the young man that played Sam, Kavon Woodward, um, he was, he's deaf in real life. So, like, all the ASL and signing that he did, um, apparently none of the other actors on set, like, knew any ASL, so they had to kind of learn it. Just a beautiful addition of Sam and, and just adding to the tension and horror of somebody that's deaf having to live in this world that is already crazy as it is was just incredible. <laughs> I think I was listening to the uh, showrunners. They were searching for like this type uh, of kid. They wanted a young kid who was deaf and they struggled to find like the right actor. And I think at a certain point, Craig Mazin like posted on Twitter. He's like, this is what we need. And still only ended up getting a handful of additional auditions. And this is where they eventually found Kavon here. So hmm, that's interesting. That is interesting. I guess I need to start hopping on Twitter and looking for <laughs> auditions for... Um, I don't know, 30-year-old white guys that do a podcast. <laughs> There's only a few of us out there. So, yeah. um, Anyways, let's kick it off. We're going to go through the episode, which starts off with some freedom chanting in the streets. <laughs> and where we left off, if you'll remind me, is uh, we left off with the cliffhanger of uh, Ellie and Joel sleeping and then Sam and Henry holding them at gunpoint. That's where mm-hmm. the last episode. So we don't necessarily pick up right in that room. We pick up um, a little bit essentially before that with uh, the story of Henry and Sam. Mm-hmm. I, for some reason, got to be honest, I thought it was a father and son duo. It took me a little while into the episode to realize they were brothers, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if that was me just not paying attention but it changed the dynamic a little bit. I think I I was looking at it from like a father-son relationship, and then uh, it turned into a brother relationship. And as someone who loves all of his brothers equally, other than Job, <laughs> I don't care for Job, um, it was a little bit different. But uh, Henry and Sam are watching all the freedom chanting that's going on in the street, and... Uh, anytime a crowd gathers to burn, execute people, and shout freedom, it's typically going pretty well. They are <laughs> murdering Fedra. So this is not that soon after the resistance is overthrown, correct? I, Where I think Daybake mentioned it was like 10 days, maybe. Okay. So they it is not long after that the government is getting overthrown. And, well, I guess government, whatever Fedra want to want to call Fedra. But uh, this is not a peaceful transition of power, for sure. No, it is not. <laughs> this is, I think, the part... Because in the last episode, we see them with guns, and it cuts. We don't see much of Henry and Sam. This is then where they establish early in the episode that Sam is deaf. Um, and mm-hmm. this I is think they see him on the side of the road, mm-hmm, kind of doing some signing and everything. And this is new from the game. And I think this was a, an idea that came from Craig Mazin, uh, who was just a fan of the game and the showrunner. And when he brought it up to Neil Druckmann, the the guy that created the video games, he was like, 
I think he literally said you mother effer because he thought it was such a brilliant idea to make Sam, uh, the character be deaf because it just increases kind of the dependency that Sam would have on Henry in this world. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great juxtaposition to Ellie who we've had, you know, as a character just never stops talking. And we had long stretches and scenes where there's just silence and it's them doing ASL back and forth uh, and it kind of really slows things down. So it's, it's really, really cool addition. Yeah, very interesting. We then find ourselves with Kathleen. We're back in the area with all the cells where they have rounded up all the collaborators. And I don't know any of these collaborators, but just the way they're they're there, I didn't like them. And uh, <laughs> Kathleen really making a strong case for my favorite character in this show. Um, and there's a discussion of where's Henry. That's This is her driving plan. Is She wants Henry because Henry is the reason that her uh, brother was killed, she feels. Mm-hmm. He was the uh, collaborator that, that gave him up. So we have her talking about, I guess, putting all these people on trial, if I remember correctly. Which is funny, yeah. It's just the absolute farce of the trial, and I think we see it in the scene earlier where, the, like, there's that car going through the streets. Is like, if you're a collaborator, come out. We will have a fair trial, and that's just completely bogus. And everybody there clearly knows it. But I love how she kind of waves it off. She's like, "We can have a trial. We know you're all guilty, so then we'll move on from that." Uh, it's just great. And then even when she says like, "When is or where is Henry?" She gives that big loud clap, and then just gains everybody's attention there. It was it was great. She's such a I, I'm with you. She's probably not my favorite character. We'll maybe dive into her her motivations here in a bit. But uh, I love the way this actress plays the character and delivers these lines. She's so cold and calculated. Oh, I think you misheard me, Tom. I said she was my favorite character, okay. Kathleen, <laughs> my favorite character on record. I look forward to see what happens to her throughout the rest of the series. <laughs> Some guy in the group of collaborators i don't know what is a group of collaborators called is it a murder is it a mob is it there's got to be a name for a group of them as they roam the plains uh a pod a pod, pod of collaborators a pod of mm-hmm. collaborators a podcast of collaborators the <laughs> guy who i don't think he meets a very good end gives up dr edelstein who mm-hmm. is uh, the gentleman that is in the cell from the other episode, and he's like, listen, they were together. He's like, they're holed up in the city. And I really thought about this. I was like, is he giving up a whole lot of information here? Is, isn't everyone here holed up in the city? Like, And forgive me, I know they just won a Super Bowl. Spoilers for those of you that haven't watched the Super recorded Bowl. Recorded the Super Bowl. Recorded the Super Bowl and are waiting to, to watch it. And they're like, oh, it's a safe space. I can listen to this podcast about The Last of Us. Surely these guys won't give up uh, the answer. Anyways, uh, the Chiefs won, the Eagles lost, and it's a big city. So I don't feel like this guy's given up a whole lot when he's like, yeah, working with Edelstein and he's holed up in the city, which... I guess he's given up a name. That's the main thing, right? Yeah, it's Edelstein to potentially get her closer, or maybe it's the idea that they are still in the city because I think there's an argument to be made. Maybe they did squeak out somehow and sure. are holed up elsewhere, but the fact that now she knows in the city she wants to, and that's what we get to the next scene, right, where she says, Perry, you got to go door to door, take all of our men, and we're going to find him, and then we get a little bit from Perry saying, like, going door to door at this point when we know there's other more pressing issues, like he's not defying Kathleen here, but certainly asking the questions that should be answered based on what we see at the end. And Kathleen's response, like, this is not my seventh priority. 
so she she has her priorities set on Henry, and there's nothing changing her mind. Yeah, Perry does a great job as a second in command, uh, working for a crazy person, doing the thing <laughs> where like you don't necessarily want to follow their order directly, so you got to give them a little bit of a. Oh, is is that really what we should be doing? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not questioning you. I just you got to kind of work your way around it so you mm-hmm. don't get hung. Anyways, Kathleen or burnt or burnt. Yeah. Speaking of which, she's like, <laughs> kill the collaborators, burn the bodies. So much for a trial. Once again, number one fan over here. Just Swift, Kathleen Swift Justice, something. I don't know her last name, but Swift Justice <laughs> is her nickname. It's on all the signs. The people were chanting it in the street. Uh, I'm going to drop my bit for a second and just say, I don't <laughs> care for characters that are just evil to be evil. Like, I got it. Her brother was killed, and she feels like that betrayal, but I don't know. I got a real problem with people that are like so evil in this world that they're willing to kill children, and I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't feel like there was enough here to warrant it. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I didn't, I don't know. Maybe it's just my issue with evil people. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. I don't like evil people either. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree with you. She is, we've got two episodes of her, right? Like we saw the last episode and it was kind of more cliffhangery and they needed kind of two episodes, I think, to kind of tell this whole storyline. But she very much is, she's like a kindergarten teacher gone bad, like with her demeanor. She almost reminds me of like if Walter White was a kindergarten teacher instead of a chemistry teacher. Sure. This is her. <laughs> um, but when what they're playing at is like her justification for this vengeance and because of her love for her brother she's doing all of this and i think it's 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 done quickly but you know at the end of the day what they're trying to do is play these parallels on you know the things that people do for love i think ultimately is what we get at and we get a little bit more about her brother's backstory michael who was you know not killed by henry by any means but just kind of given up by henry Um, and i think that helps not again not justify any of this stuff but give us a little bit more understanding of how she kind of became to power and why she's doing the things that she's doing. Yeah. She's like meatloaf. She would do anything <laughs> for love and probably that because <laughs> probably nothing would stop her. I thought I read somewhere that the character's background is she was a teacher. So I don't know if you are just picking up that vibe, but I, I, I think you're certainly on the right track. Not mm-hmm. that there's anything wrong with teachers. Please, the union don't come <laughs> after us. In fact, Tom and I both have teachers, a lot of teachers in our families. Um, we love them, but they do yell and throw apples sometimes. That's all. True. That's all I'm saying. That's all. And they're justified most of the time. If your finger painting is bad, they're going to throw an apple. That's just how it works. Whew. All right. Speaking of finger painting, oh, watch this transition. We're in the <laughs> attic, and <Hey. laughs> Dr. Edelstein is there. He's kind of showing Henry and Sam around to their new room. He's like, listen, uh, out here, very open concept uh, loft. <laughs> um, you could put a nice, put in a fireplace here. Uh, here are some cans of food. He's obviously helping them. This is also a kind of an interesting moment where we discover that all the guns everyone has are empty at this point. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're just waving around empty guns, which I think is a community uh, staple of when they say, 
Like in 99% of gunfights, the person with the fake or empty gun is always the victim, um, <laughs> which I've misquoted that horribly, but I always thought it was a funny part in Community, the TV show. But that's a different podcast. Yeah, so all the guns are empty, Tom. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where we get the doctor kind of, he's kind of having the back and forth with Henry and seeing that kind of Sam scared and he makes specific mention that, well, Sam is scared because you are scared. So you kind of need, you know, need to be strong or whatever for him. And this is where we get that kind of uh, touching moment where Henry gives uh, Sam all of the crayons and allows uh, Sam to kind of clean up this, this room, which is all dusty and ugly as he signs and says like, Hey, like let's draw. And I would argue these crayons probably can't draw that well on these, these walls. Cause those, those pictures came out fantastic and very vibrant in color. But was a really cool scene. Yeah, I, also, I, hope, I was just going to say, I hope that's the level of nitpicking we're doing. But I would like <laughs> to point out that I think the reason Kathleen is so upset with Henry and wants his blood is because he stole all those crayons and paints <laughs> from her kindergarten class. Yeah. And now her children have nothing to eat. So that's what she's really me. mad at. Yeah, I interrupted. <laughs> Go ahead. No, we get a little bit of like Sam's board here. And this definitely. I mean, I don't know if I had one of these as a kid, but I remember this being a thing with these like magnet boards where you can kind of write on it and then just pull up the paper and then kind of write again. But if you kind of look at it, it's like faint. It's got like Woody the Woodpecker on it. Uh, Such a cool little ad that he wears this around his neck as kind of his communication tool. Pretty, pretty cool. Yep. I don't know that I had one of those. And honestly, it took me a little bit to realize it was like a carbon paper reusable thing Mm because... I kept thinking he was ripping off a sheet of paper, and I was like, guys, in this world, there's only so much paper, but <laughs> it's all right. For those of you that are hearing something in the background, <laughs> that's because uh, for some strange reason, our state is getting uh, a torrential downpour, and Tom's experiencing it on his end. So, Well, but um, here, here's what's going on. I'm trying to set the mood for this podcast. It's a very dark and ominous episode. <laughs> this is as you can hear. My skylight is getting destroyed with water so you know here we're in it together you're welcome everyone for (laughs) whatever is going on over there When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've gotten rid of the rain. Tom has made some great sacrifices for this podcast right now. I believe he's in some sort of underground bunker covered in about eight different weighted blankets so that uh, the sound is blocked out. So if you're at home, I would like you to give a 10-second round of applause for Tom uh, to bring him back to a joyous time because no one likes rain. Certainly out in the desert, we despise it. Uh, we wish there was Listen, no water. I love the rain. This is this is almost making me sad that I can't go outside and enjoy the rain. Now I'm in my sub-basement closet. 
Tom typically strips down to nothing <laughs> and runs out in the rain like he just got out of the Shawshank prison. Uh, but unfortunately, it's Valentine's Day, and we're recording a podcast that is just taking longer and longer the more I talk, and our spouses are still upset with us. So we live here now, Tom. We live here, and we're might as well get married, buddy. All right, I got 10 days later. blankets in this closet. <laughs> Ten days later, we've got Sam and Andre in the attic. They're hungry. Uh, turns out they did not ration those cans of food. They went through them quickly. In I mean, order to, to ten days, Henry or yeah, Henry said it should last him eleven. So only one day off is pretty good. There were a lot of cans there. These guys were like, "We'll carbo lo- carbo load on day one, <laughs> and that'll maintain us through the ten days." The doctor is not showing up. We find out, and I think this is really good writing. They're like, we know kind of what's happening, but we've got to still see the characters, like it dawn mm-hmm. on them, you know, that the doctor's been de- detained, and Henry's come to the conclusion, we've got to get out of this attic because there are no more surfaces to color. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I guess the assumption is if he's not coming back, did he potentially give up their position too? Like, I don't think Henry thinks they did, but in any event, they know they have to get out of here. And I love this emotional moment that they have when kind of, I think Sam ultimately understands that he's not coming back. And they even mention that he's probably dead. Sam gives Henry a hug and it was just like, it's what both characters needed in this moment. Just a, a little moment to not say goodbye to him, but say that they hey we're here for each other and we're gonna get through this sure sure and then i believe this is where they start painting masks onto each other and i won't lie uh, much like while you've been dealing with the rain i was drinking then and now and so all i could think about was why does bane wear the mask why does bane wear the mask um which is why does sam wear the mask (laughs) <laughs> That's all I could think about the whole time this was happening. Well, I mean, Sam is completely unrecognizable now, so maybe they wouldn't even be looking for him. That's true. They're just like, oh, <laughs> that young man, he uh, seems to have a mask on. We don't know who he is. <laughs> we have Sam and Henry that have snuck down to like the bottom level of the building, and they get to witness the Joel and Ellie ambush where our sweet S10 sees its <laughs> last ride. <laughs> I like this scene, though, right? Getting it from the other perspective. I think if you go back and watch this scene again from Joel's perspective in the last episode, you can see that white door in the distance that has kind of the windows up top. I don't think you can actually see Henry peeking from it, uh, but it's a it's a cool setup to be able to see the sequence again from, from their view. Yep. And uh, Henry watches Ellie... Um destroy these guys in this fight very ominously with that big (laughs) thunder (laughs) okay is that coming through on my we gotta we gotta time this so we say things with the thunder when you see lightning say something very ominous listen uh, i'm not seeing the lightning i'm just hearing the thunder over here and uh i gotta be honest this is great i i wish i was out back watching it but i'm here for the people uh, that for some reason listened to us, Tom. So um, <laughs> Henry's like, new plan. We're going to go join those people uh, because Joel and Ellie seem formidable. So mm-hmm. this is then where we pick up on the end of the last episode where we're back in the weird office, high-rise sleeping spot 
where they are on therapist couch cushions is the <laughs> only way I could describe it. We've got the empty gun stick up happening. Mm-hmm. And um, Henry very quickly is like, hey, like, you know, we're not here to hurt you. We're trying to, he like tries to establish some trust. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the gun away. Like, don't do anything. And Joel says something, and Ellie has a great moment where she's like, no, everything's fine. Joel just has an a-hole voice, which I <laughs> yeah. thought was a great line. And Joel's like, everything is great. Just yeah. very, yeah. very grunting it out and just yeah. making Henry very uneasy. Yeah, he sounds like he's on the verge of violence, not yeah. peace. But we find out Henry's the most wanted man in Kansas City. He's the Patrick Mahomes of um, <laughs> people in Kansas City right now. Mm-hmm. And they do eventually put the guns down. They share some food. And, you know, Henry's trying to approach this as like an alliance. And Joel pretty quickly is like, listen, we didn't kill each other. Let's just call it a win-win and move on. Because I don't (laughs) think he wants to pick up any more people that he has to be responsible of. Certainly no more children, I think, Mm -hmm. is where he's at. Agreed. They have some establishing conversation about how terrible Federal was to people in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and Henry's like, listen, I can help you get out of here. I'll show you the way. You clear the way, which yeah. I thought was a pretty good, pretty good bargain. He knows this, you know, he knows where to go. He knows how to get out of the city, um, the Kansas city, and <laughs> uh, Joel's violent. So you know, those two could help each other, right? Yeah, win-win. Uh, I, I do like how they do some uh, establishing of how Fedra was like seemingly evil because we didn't get that. Um, Fedra bit from the team in Boston, right? Like they weren't necessarily great guys, but they weren't doing the kind of things that this KC Fedra, I guess, were doing. So I like that we got a little bit more backstory on them because otherwise all these these people, these hunters, this new group of people led by Kathleen just seemed like, you know, murderous, crazy people if they were doing this for just to overthrow these guys. So I, I appreciated that. But I also love the lines that we get back and forth to your point about you know, you show the way, or I'll show you the way, you clear the way. And Joel's kind of response is like, you seem capable enough, you're armed. And then immediately, uh, Henry's like, you're wrong, and you're wrong. Like, pointing an unloaded gun at you is the closest I've ever come to being violent, which I think was a a great line and and great dialogue back and forth. Sure. No, that's a good point about the, uh, I mean, the dialogue, but also, like, establishing that there was a reason why Kathleen and those people overthrew Fedra. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like... You know, if Henry had been like, listen, they were constantly giving out stuffed animals and it was (laughs) cotton candy day every Wednesday. um, But Kathleen overthrew them. You'd be like, "Okay, you know, Fedra, it seems like they have their stuff going on. Mm -hmm. That wheatless cotton candy Wednesday (laughs) sounds like a pretty good time. And I do think very quickly, and this is something that kids do, is we kind of see this happening while the grownups are like arguing and kind of taking on the heavier topics, the kids immediately are like recognizing another kid and they're becoming friends because that's the great thing about kids is they can like mm-hmm. connect and, you know, you you take your kid to the park one day and they meet their best friend and they're never mm-hmm. going to see that kid again. But for some reason, uh, they just so have so much fun together. And so it's it's cool in this episode and they do it quickly, and you you know you kind of know how it's gonna end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did appreciate how quickly the kids kind of 
get to know each other and and you see kind of a joy that's developing in a very dark dark place yeah and this is a little bit different for the game because in the game uh sam and ellie are kind of close to the exact same age so the relationship is a little bit different where here because ellie's older than sam it kind of almost establishes ellie as a bit of more of a protector for sure. for sam like and the an way they have sibling. their relationship yeah. exactly exactly yeah. so it's an interesting dynamic and i think a good change we then have a scene where Henry pulls out a sheet of paper and a pencil, and he's drawing a map. And I love maps, Tom. I'm going to be on record every episode. I love maps. I love uh, when someone has to pull out a legal pad and their blue fountain pen and tell you where the courthouse is and what roads to take. It's just a great memory of mine. Anyways, we discover that Henry's big thing is the tunnels. He's like, mm-hmm. did you notice anything? Like, there's no infected on the surface. They all went underground, Um, and so our way out of here is we need to go through the tunnels because I knew a guy who knew a guy who dated (laughs) another guy who knew a guy that told me the tunnels were clear, (laughs) and this plan is not dicey at all. It is, is, how do they say it? Airtight, I believe, is is the term. Yeah, it was a great like planning meeting of Henry kind of going through all these little bits and not really having a lot of information, but trying to be as confident as he can. Um, and even like when he turns to Sam and asks Sam, or, or Sam's kind of asking him, like, "Okay, are they are they in?" And Henry just kind of implies that they're going to be in. Sure. Uh, so it was it was a cool back and forth, and I liked it. Yeah, this actor does a great job of like you can almost tell he's BSing his way through this mm-hmm. because he needs help. And he doesn't know it, but he's confident enough that you're like, well, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, he doesn't know what's going on. This is terrible. <laughs> um, but they agree to it, so they're in the tunnels, and this was a great moment. Joel to Ellie, uh, get your gun out. It's time. And Ellie <laughs> is so proud, so proud to pull out that, that handgun. And where does she pull it, right? She pulls it from her pocket and not her backpack. And, of course, Joel gives her, gives her a look like, oh, I told you to put it in your backpack. You're going to shoot yourself. Yeah, yeah. We I think we have a moment where Henry says something to Joel about being Ellie's dad, and Ellie's like, he's not my dad. I'm not her dad. Mm-hmm. They both say it with uh-huh. like such knee-jerk reactions that it's kind mm-hmm. of, it's funny, but it's also establishing that they're, you know, not to the point of being that close. They've mm-hmm. grown closer, but they're not there. And then we have just a bunch of tunnels and flashlights. We eventually show up in like a kid's classroom, like an underground bunker type classroom, mm-hmm. which is probably where they got all those crayons. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> this is Kathleen's well, classroom. I don't, I don't know. A lot I of hope conjecture. Not. But this is very cool because this is, again, ripped straight from the game, this idea of, like, underground communities and, like, the set of rules you see on the whiteboard of how to kind of keep safe, um, all the drawings on the wall. And there's a specific drawing that they kind of pan to, and this is more specific for the video game audience, where it's kind of has, like, a kid's drawing, very similar to what we've seen Sam do, of kind of two police officer-looking guys, Danny and Ish. Uh, and I think under it says, Our Protectors. And in the game, what you do is to learn about this kind of community down in this underground or these tunnels, you kind of pick up a series of notes from the characters, specifically from Ish. So it talks about him kind of being on his own and him like opening up his guard and kind of letting other people in as he's kind of found others and kind of protecting these families and these other kids that were down in this area. And I think eventually you kind of come across their bodies from them trying to protect the, the kids and everything. So it's a cool little nod to those folks that have played the video game because it's a touching story in and of itself. Huh. Interesting. 
I don't know anything about Ish, but I do know that all kids, well, maybe back in the day, I don't know if it's as common as it is now, but comics. Comics mm-hmm. bring everyone together. Were you a comics guy, Tom? Did you read comics as a kid? I like, was never regularly? a comic guy. Yeah, my brothers were, or my older middle brother, excuse me, was big into them, but I don't think I ever, ever really caught on. You? Uh, no. I, I remember we got some at a flea market. Like I have, you know, the first edition of the first Superman. It's probably somewhere in some sort of musty box in this house. I didn't really care about it. Um, but no, not a comics family. We had television, so uh, the, which had moving comics, which we like to call cartoons. So we didn't have any time for that reading, reading books, literature. But the- so. <laughs> The comic they do feature here is called Savage Starlight, which is great because this is kind of a collectible in the game. So when you're running around as Joel and you're running through different houses and you're clearing it out, you'll pick up these different volumes of this comic book. And they're kind of like collectibles for the game that you ultimately kind of give to Ellie. So she's got something to kind of do. And if you flip over the comic books, each one you pick up, they kind of have like little synopsis of what that book is about. And I don't remember all the details, but ultimately the idea is they draw parallels to the story of Joel and Ellie and all the stuff that they're doing. And they kind of mention it briefly here. I don't know if, I think actually Survive and Endure is pulled from one of the comics that you collect in the game. Mm. When you pick up these comics, do you have to dump something in your inventory in order to hold them? So it's like <laughs> drop nine millimeter bullets in order to keep uh, comic seven of Savage Starlight. Are, are those the choices you're making during the, the show? As I I'm replay sorry, game? this game, it is silly how much inventory you get to hold on to. Seven weapons, eight weapons at a time, plus your ammunition, plus your comics. It's, it's a bit aggressive. Eight weapons doesn't seem like that much. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> well, plus three Molotov cocktails, three med kits, uh, three pipe bombs. You know, you just all carry those in your backpack, I guess. Yeah. My issue with Molotov cocktails is they'd never make it to the Molotov cocktail <laughs> stage uh, because I'd be like, I could sip half of one today, you know, and still it'll still work, right? And then yeah. it'll be like, oh, it'll work with just the vapors inside, right? And then... <laughs> They're just throwing a bottle with cloth in it at some guy. Yeah, exactly. Ow, that glass hurts. I was like, sorry. He's like, why'd you light it on fire? It doesn't matter. Why are you yeah, drunk? Yourself off this cloth. doesn't matter. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> why are you drunk? Oh, because Tom had to take 20 minutes to fix his microphone because of the rain. Anyways, uh, that's not important. We can cut that. We have a soccer scene, and we are a soccer podcast, so it's very important that we dive into this. For those of you that don't know, we started because we love the TV show Ted Lasso, which, spoilers, Tom, when's season three of Ted Lasso coming out? Give them the date. The Ides of March, March 15th. We're getting Ted Lasso season three. I didn't understand that reference, but I do know what the number 15 (laughs) is, and I do know that March is a month. Uh, of the year so lasso season three it's coming back anyways there's a great soccer scene um where ellie kicks the ball and a dog gets in the way and it doesn't go well for the dog right that's what happens (laughs) no not quite oh man that was great that dog all right but but this is good right because it allows the kids to be kids um i think henry even has a line like hey kind of saddle up here for a little bit that way by the time we exit it'll be dark and we'll have a little bit of cover so they kind of allow the kids to be kids and then it also gives henry and and uh joel some time to have a conversation which i appreciate because i like when these characters get to have some dialogue 
Yeah, no, I just wish that Ellie or uh, Sam got real aggressive during the soccer game and started <laughs> shouting at the other one about like, no, you got to watch for the cross and then you got to follow it. Like, I wish they got into it like um, Bradley Cooper's character in The Wedding Crashers. Anyways, <laughs> we find out as the kids are playing, the adults are talking uh, Henry starts to talk about, you know, there was a there was a man. He was a great man. You know, had all these great qualities. Uh, never afraid. Never selfish. Always forgiving. And then um, it was like Jesus gets us was flashed across the screen. Um, actually, wait, that's a different. Never mind. That was from something else. Um, and and uh, we find out that Sam got sick. So Henry's brother got sick. And mm-hmm. in order to get the drug that he needed uh, from Fedra, he had to give up this great man who was the leader of the resistance. And we find out Kathleen's brother. I did like that in this world, I think a simple drug cures leukemia was what I gathered from this conversation. But uh, maybe I'm a little off on that. Yeah, at least puts it at bay. I mean, I don't I don't know. I can't imagine Sam is in a good situation. But I, I, I like what they did here because it kind of established like Henry putting, you know, his family and the safety of, you know, really this whole community kind of, I guess, at uh, jeopardy by giving him up. And Henry understood that this guy that he gave up was a good man and was a good person, but it didn't matter to him because he was, he had to do what was best for his family and his brother. So I, I like that little backstory. And I think he even at one point mentions that he can tell that Joel was a father, even though he knows Ellie is not his kid. He he sees and knows that Joel has this type of, you know, father protection mode for Ellie. Sure, sure. And I figured this is probably also where the doctor established kind of the relationship with Sam and Henry, that Sam got sick, and that's where um, the doctor that unfortunately meets his demise at the hands of Kathleen that's where that would have, uh, I don't know, maybe I mm-hmm. dug a little bit. Maybe I delved too deep, but you that's never, what I felt. Well, you can never you, dive too deep. Just don't dive too deep where you find a Balrog. hole of infected. No. Or that, or or Balrock. Wait, are we, what, what show are we talking about right now? <laughs> Anyways, from there, we go back to the home of the childhood of our favorite character, Kathleen. <laughs> I think this is where I really... I grew to love her as a character. I thought, oh, she had a house with bunk beds. I wish I had a house with bunk beds. <laughs> Perry shows up. We have her waxing poetically about Michael, her brother. He was beautiful. He was great. This Michael guy seems like a real good dude. I wish he was yeah. around instead of Kathleen because <laughs> Kathleen, not friendly. Well, and we get this, like, I guess, idea that Michael kept her safe, and she even says, "Like, listen, he was beautiful. I am not beautiful. I am not beautiful. I am not forgiving. Like, he, Michael wanted me to forgive Henry and and all these people, and and she just doesn't have it in her. And even I think Perry uh, mentions to Kathleen, he's like, like Kathleen, we're still we're still here for you. He didn't change anything. You did." Which is, again, I think a, an important line because we need to understand why Perry and why all these guys are following Kathleen because we haven't really gotten much. So if the idea that Kathleen's brother was kind of the lead of this resistance and now my assumption would be that Michael's death was kind of the catalyst for this uprising, kind of led by Kathleen. And that's how she's still kind of leading this group. 
But I like sure. that little bit, bit, a little bit of extra backstory that we got for this because I think it was is helpful. I agree with you. It still probably doesn't necessarily make me like or understand Kathleen's motive, I guess, as much. But I like, I like that we got more of that. Yeah, yeah. Kathleen, after Michael was um, executed, she rallied everyone. She was like, "Listen, my brother told us to forgive with bullets. Let's go <laughs> forgive them with bullets." And then. We're going to give four all. bullets to each person's chest. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> uh, that would make sense because she's a kindergarten teacher teaching math. So she's like, kids, if you have four bullets and you put four bullets into Fedra's chest, how many bullets do you have? And the kids are like, freedom. Anyways, whew, that got dark, but this show's dark and it's storming outside. So that's all part of the part of the podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Nighttime neighborhood, which is what I wrote in the outline. Oh, this is where they're moving through the neighborhood at nighttime. Good job, Julian. Anyways... <laughs> Uh, we have a conversation as they're sneaking through the cul-de-sac uh he's like we're almost out we've just got to get across you know that yard to that fence to that dog and we're home free and i was like oh yeah no this is not the time to be counting your chickens yeah (laughs) don't show the picture of your baby girl that you haven't seen but you can't wait to meet because (laughs) stuff's about to go poorly also Mm -hmm. i was like hey noise and light discipline don't be talking so loudly in the neighborhood and sure enough we have a sniper and Mm. so uh someone's taking pot shots at him from the uh, tall building at the end of the cul-de-sac we get the old flanking maneuver from joel and uh this starts I mean, this starts the best part of the episode, which from here to the end, uh, all good stuff. Loved every moment of it. Yeah, we get just a whole bunch of action here. But I like that uh, at one point, Joel, before he kind of runs off and starts his flanking maneuver, he kind of says, like, listen, after seeing this guy shoot a couple of times, like, it's dark. This guy has bad aim. And even asks Ellie, uh, like, hey, do you trust me? Because Ellie's freaking out, does not want Joel to leave her in this situation. But we get, again, a little bit more establishing in their relationship and that Ellie does trust Joel to to save her. Yep. Joel sticks his hand above the car and he's like, watch, this guy's got bad aim. And then the guy <laughs> shoots him through the hand and he's like, oh, see, I didn't expect that. He only he only shot me through the middle of the hand, didn't get any of my fingers. Anyways. Yeah, try to, try to shoot me. I'm going to catch the bullet. <laughs> catch the bullet. Oh, that's such a great Key and Peele sketch. Yeah, What's go watch the Rambo Key and Peele sketch. Oh, man, that's so good. Anyways, Joel ends up in the house. Uh, We find out it's an old man sniper, and the old man very quickly, I think, goes to sleep. Maybe he had taken his medication. I'm not real sure Mm -hmm. what happens to him, but I think Mm -hmm. he sleeps peacefully. But not before he has called Kathleen on the radio and enter the resistance with their 
car snowplow vehicle that <laughs> I think just dope. yeah very cool uh one of those one of those moments where people running on the ground are faster than a vehicle moving and <laughs> they keep cutting back and forth and you're like i feel like those people are running faster because the distance keeps getting more and more but I'm not going to nitpick a show that gave us this many crayons. So uh, I just wanted Joel to shoot Kathleen in this moment. That's all I wanted. Like, he's up yeah, there. He's got the yeah, sniper they, rifle. Shoot Kathleen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he had taken some shots, and he missed quite a few to start. But I think when that car snowplow thing got super close to Ellie, that's when he finally hit his mark. Shoots the and, driver, yeah. Yeah, and the car goes into the house, starts the fire, and then, boom, just kind of sets this more ominous stage and this was like i don't know watching this i kind of felt bummed a bit because i knew from watching the trailers that this big bloater and infected is going to come out of like the ground with fire all around so i'm like oh okay here we come this is where this is going to happen didn't know what the timing was or whatever but i knew right when this thing got on fire that all right we're going to see the infected come running through now I thought we agreed not to watch previews. I'm not watching previews. Where are you watching previews at? <laughs> this was like an opening trailer before the season even came oh. out because they, they teased the idea of the bloater kind of coming out of the ground. So you only got like maybe half a second of it kind of putting its hand out and maybe the top of its head. But it was enough for me to kind of draw that conclusion. Because again, obviously having played the games too, I understood what was going to happen in this in this sequence. Sure, sure. Must be nice to be so smart. Know everything that's <laughs> happening. Kathleen does her bad guy monologuing where she's like calling for henry and she's like listen you know sam's gonna be fine kids die all the time if he dies not a big deal you know you gave up my brother so he could live but kids die all the time she just kept saying that and i was like i don't think you're hearing your words (laughs) um and in a situation like this i always think about the people in the background that can't quite hear they're just like (laughs) standing around with guns being like what what's she talking about who what who are we looking for what why did we snowplow all these cars and then someone's like shut up man you got a granola bar he's like yeah here you go uh is there wheat in it doesn't matter anyways uh kathleen's terrible and uh we we have kind of essentially the the theme of this episode which i'll let you dive into but it's like who's essentially who's worth saving and and who would you give up in order to you know save someone else um Mm -hmm. but you 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 talk about the high moral stuff i'll drink go ahead (laughs) no we kind of mentioned it earlier it's the idea of like saving family or in in her case kind of revenge or avenging her family the member that got killed versus kind of the greater good and like whether that individual love is more important and uh, the kind of writer and creator of the show craig mazin put it eloquently saying like my brother is more important than your brother and it's a decision that love makes it's not a rational one which i thought was kind of interesting Hmm. and that a lot of these characters act on love more so than what they do being a rational idea because like henry giving up michael is not probably a rational decision because it's going to lead to this uprising and all the craziness that you know ensued here even though he did want to protect his brother it may not have been the best decision but it was a decision made through love sure Sure. No, that's uh, yeah. These are the things that shows like this make you make you think about and mm-hmm. uh, hope that you're never in that situation. <laughs> yeah. uh, because I'd give up everybody. <laughs> I couldn't give. I couldn't give enough names in order to save my own skin. Speaking we are definitely of, a pod of collaborators. Yes. Yes, we are. Good callback, Dom. <laughs> 
Speaking of callbacks, Henry gives himself up. Uh, he steps out from behind the vehicle, and it really feels like Kathleen could have been like, is there someone else behind that vehicle with you? Um, because the kids are back there and Henry doesn't like nod to them. He's like, I'm giving myself up. And then he's like jerking his head towards behind the car. He's Go. like, the kids are back there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I th- in this situation, Henry's giving up the children. Oh. In your situation, he's trying to save the children. That's the difference between you and I. But it doesn't matter because what happens? The sinkhole opens up. And we get this very cool infected attack. A lot of infected. Uh, You have, I'm sorry, there's a name for the big infected that I love. They're like, listen, here's what you came for. And this character (laughs) comes out of the ground. And I was like, oh, it's bigger than the other ones. So it must be badder than the other ones. (laughs) Yes. Um, But yeah, what, what was going on here, Tom? I think the idea is this is like the fourth stage of the infected. So it's kind of clicker and then bloaters. So in general, the idea with like smaller people at a certain point, when they're a clicker, they will just cease to kind of be, they'll go find like a quiet space and then kind of like disintegrate into the wall like we saw in the very first episode. But there's like, you know, some humans that are just massive, like you think football players or bodybuilders and that kind of stuff that can kind of endure the infection for longer. And it's it's pretty much just a clicker on steroids, if you will. So when this kind of bloater comes out, they're one of the most toughest enemies in the game. And they like you've got to pretty much throw your whole arsenal at them. So the second that thing comes out of the ground, you're like, "Uh oh, Perry's in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Okay, so bloaters come from like big, muscly, like bad Mm -hmm. dudes. Right. Yeah. So so you'd be a bloater, buddy. Oh, thank. Okay, man. I'm so (laughs) glad you took that. I was going to, oh man, I was going to have to fish for it. I thought I was going to have to fish for it, Tom, but oh man, good. Yeah, no, I picked that's up good. Oh, you got me. I like it. I like it But so apparently, much. so, you know, we see Perry get his demise here and just gets his head ripped off in just brutal fashion. But listening to Mason talk about it, he apparently wanted him to get like ripped in half at the torso, uh, but had to be told like, that's not how bodies work. <laughs> because <laughs> he just wanted that cool visual sure um, sure so apparently they did like mock it up and, and ended up kind of going this route because in the game what's really brutal is like if these bloaters or a clicker if they actually get you in the game and, and kill you you'll see like the sequence kind of play out and you just get smashed so these sure. bloaters have a handful of these kind of fatality scenes that are just brutal 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 and this i think ripping the head is, is kind of one of them Sure, 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 sure. But uh, back to the bloaters, the the people that would be bloaters also like would be really handsome people, though, right? Like super, like handsome people would be bloaters. Um, would you would you say that? And like no, the opposite I, sex would be like really like attracted to them. Would you? The female I mean, mushrooms would, you, would really love the fun guy that is the bloater. But <laughs> anyways, it doesn't matter. All right. Well, you get, um, well, you're you're fishing for something else there. No, I, I'm not going to say you're handsome. I mean, you've no. got abs because you don't eat, you know, gluten. Just, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, the lies told on the podcast. All right. Uh, the one thing I did want to point out is, and I don't think we're giving Barry Pepper enough credit here. Just some great sniper work <laughs> in the tower, on par oh, yeah. with Saving Private Ryan. Just uh, Joel's crushing it here. Just love it. Love when he misses. Love when he hits. It's all good. Ooh, the thing that I do not find good and do not enjoy is child infected. Did not mm. like this. Did not care for it. 
Um, could have done without. I understand it's probably part of the game and the story. It's Didn't not like part it. of the game, which I'm glad it wasn't part of the game because, yeah, having to do that in the game and take out one of these, like, child infected would be brutal. But I think what they were trying to go for is just kind of like the innocence and horror of a young kid. And, like, this kid actor that played this was so creepy. And it was apparently, like, a contortion- contortionist. So all those little, like, crazy moves, that's, like, not CGI. That is this little girl in this backseat just being creepy as all get out yeah it reminded me of watching the ring for the first time yeah no don't care for it don't (laughs) like the thought of a creepy kid like murdering me from my back seat not fun i did think of this from like sometimes the shows i'm watching it like i can see the video game mission and like this (laughs) to me was definitely you're playing joel they put you in a window and you've got it's like a escort or protect mission sniper mission and so you're just shooting people and clickers and bloated bloaters mm-hmm. bloated bloaters <laughs> yeah same thing as you're, you're 100% trying to protect correct. You're like, 100% yeah correct. i love it i love it i love it <laughs> when it a plan comes together <laughs> man i bet bloaters are also like really smart people too i bet smart people that like <laughs> think like really really big thoughts and are handsome and Anyways, all right. Um, a clicker gets Kathleen. I honestly am. Was I supposed to be cheering for the clickers? Because I got to be honest, I cheered for the clickers and the bloaters and the I don't know what are the, what are the little kids called? The creepy little infected kids. I was cheering for all of them as they were murdering all of these uh, resistance I mean, people that seemed a little bit terrible. Yeah, which I think tells you the show's doing a good job because it's like I'm almost dehumanizing these people that kind of took over Fedra, even though they were likely warranted in it if they were really getting kind of tortured and everything that that Fedra was doing it uh, or how they were treating them. But it is interesting how it kind of turns it around and you're like kind of excited that this group of people are now going to seemingly get decimated because not only does this kind of group of mercenaries get decimated, but they're now all running towards the city. So the city's likely completely toast. Sure. But I do like the idea that we've got this young child clicker taking Kathleen out. So I'm assuming this was probably one of Kathleen's old students that has yep. just had enough. Yep. And, and that's vengeful. why they, they cut mm-hmm. in and the clicker grabs her and gets real close to her face and goes, give me my crayons. <laughs> And um, so I recently watched Air Force One where he's like, get off my plane. And I can't stop thinking about that line delivery. What a great movie. Terrible movie, actually. Anyways, that's a different podcast. I don't want to give anything away. I've got thoughts on Air Force One 30 years later. Harrison Ford, just a great president. Vote for that guy right now. So, so wonderful. He might actually play president in a new Marvel movie. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, well, once he's done making his seventh uh, Indiana Jones, I'm all for it. That guy needs more money. Anyways, they escape. You know, the clickers, great diversion. Joel, Henry, uh, the kids, they escape. They have a conversation, uh, I guess, because they're kind of evaluating. They're evaluating, like, they're watching the kids operate and mm-hmm. what they've just gone through. And, and so it's an interesting conversation that they have. Yeah, because I think ultimately Joel says, like, it's easier when you're a kid because you don't have anyone else relying on you. So they're able to shake this stuff off or kind of move past it. And we'll see that with, with Ellie kind of here at the end. But uh, it's sad and, I don't know, unfortunately probably a little bit true, right? Right, right. 
I at this point are they in the hotel? Is that where they're in the yeah. they're in the, <laughs> the kind okay? Of, mm-hmm. And they have the conversation about like endure and survive, which is the motto from the comic. And uh, I think this is a funny. It's not like breaking the fourth wall, but it's a funny like making fun of something that the show had to do or the video game had to do. Where uh, Joel's like, "Not great, endure and survive." It's, you know, kind of means the same thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Henry's like redundant, and it's funny too because if you listen to their follow-up podcast, like the official one, you know, Druckmann even says that he's like, "Like, oh, these people are enduring." So, like, what what's another word that's kind of like endure? And he apparently went to like thesaurus.com to look up another line and found survive, and then wrote that into the the video game script. That's great. awesome. So That's it's probably, awesome. yeah, calling back, maybe a little bit of self-deprecation, calling back his, his own silly line. We um, have some conversation between Ellie and Sam, and Sam is scribbling his questions about, like, are you ever scared? And it's kind of nice. You just see the kids, like, once again, relating and, and mm-hmm. kind of going into some deeper things and and this is like you said earlier i think in the game you mentioned they're the same age in this dynamic he's younger than her so he's kind of looking up to her as a hey you know and he's like are you ever scared mm-hmm. um which i i think is a a better dynamic for how this show plays out mm-hmm. yeah and it very much mirrors kind of henry and sam's conversation earlier where henry's kind of trying to be strong and show that he's not scared uh, but Ellie's the opposite. Ellie's like, yes, of course I'm scared to in this world. And she kind of tries to like write it off and be kind of comical and funny. Like, yeah, of course I'm scared all the time of scorpions, which is, you know, kind of funny, but it's a line straight from the game. She makes kind of the same joke with Sam, but then ultimately writes down that little pad that she's scared of ending up alone. And it's, mm. it's heart right because cause I think everybody ultimately in her life has either left her or has died. So it's definitely a huge fear of hers. That's a great point. And this leads to who I don't know. I don't know that I saw this coming. I just uh, maybe it's because it was late and I was not in a complete state of mind, but (laughs) I just didn't see what was about to happen. Uh, Mm -hmm. My wife kept saying about Sam, she's like, oh, you know, the the kid is darling, the actor is darling, and she's like, I'm going to be devastated when they kill him. And she said it in the beginning of the episode, and I was like, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to kill him, like, not in this episode. But Mm -hmm. nope, he asked the question, uh, if you turn into a monster, are you still you inside? And that's mm-hmm. when we find out that Sam was bit. And yeah. there is that moment where they're, where him and Henry, I think, are under the car during the clicker attack. And mm-hmm. they're kind of like kicking the clickers away. But they don't, you know, they don't telegraph it enough that I honestly, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, for sure. Well, and we even get this kind of, again, heart-wrenching scene where Ellie kind of realizes what's happening. And I don't think she's giving him false hope she's she's wanting to think that she is the hero that really everybody is telling her she is so she shows him that he uh, she was bit her blood is medicine she can help him and it's just it's heart-wrenching and this is not something that you see in the game but it was an added bit for the show and just makes this just that much more difficult and i mean we even get this little bit where you know ellie promises sam that he's she's gonna stay awake and make sure like she's there with him and unfortunately, Ellie falls asleep. Yeah, because if she would have stayed awake, he never would have turned, right? So yeah, I don't think it's that. Ellie. I think 
yeah, I don't know. Like, but sorry, I'm trying to the, make light on a no, uh, know, a rather intri- a heart wrenching <laughs> moment here. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you, but it is it's tough because Ellie didn't know what to do or say in this situation, and and she made a promise that you know, and it's not her fault. She'd been through a lot in that day in these sequences, but you know, she fell asleep and you know, wakes up in the morning and there's Sam at the end of the bed. And we even get this little moment of, oh, okay, Sam's at the end of the bed. Uh, he's okay. She tried to say yeah. hi. He's okay. He's, but he's looking the other direction. And this is interesting too, because this almost made me think that, you know, Sam gives that line, if you turn into a monster, is it still you inside? And I would argue that this almost kind of shows us that, yeah, like it still is you inside, at least in this early stage, because we do see that Sam is still deaf here in this, in the sequence. It's not like he's fully been taken over by the infection and just kind of smells or whatever these infected do to attack other people. So I thought that was, you know, kind of an interesting little touch that, you know, Henry is, or Sam is still himself, but he just can't control himself. Sure. Sure. I also, to your point about Ellie, like using her own blood as a cure, the argument I had here was like, Ellie should probably go tell Joel and Henry what's up. But mm-hmm. I think she truly believes that she like has helped him, and that they're you know he, she she cannot believe he's going to turn, and mm-hmm. so that would be my argument for why she doesn't go into the other room and be like, hey, like maybe she waits until Sam falls asleep, and she's like, hey, Sam was bit, like we need to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I think she actually thinks she is taking a chance on being the cure. Uh, which I yeah. think is is interesting, but unfortunately, Sam turns. He immediately attacks Ellie once she goes around the bed. They cool shot here where they fly through the door, mm-hmm. and then I think this is important. Like Henry shoots Sam, almost like reactionary. Like it, yeah. it, it's not like he. I don't feel like we get a long pause, but maybe I'm misremembering it and. Also, I think it's important that he does the shooting and not Joel because mm-hmm. there's like a different level of if Joel would have shot Sam, I think that changes, you know, what happens next, which is just terrible. But yeah. No, I think you're right. Like Henry, it's it's instinctive the way he ultimately saves Ellie here because like he shoots at the floor first. I think when Joel is going to try to go and save Ellie. But he just doesn't really know what to do and how to process this. But he sees somebody in danger and, you know, he has the unfortunate thing and, and has to shoot his brother. And after he does that, then I think it starts to hit him and it all just rushes in. And that's where he starts to realize, like, OK, if my brother's out in this world, like, what am I living for? And just heart wrenching when he turns a gun on himself. And again, this is, I, I mean, almost identically shot from the game and even knowing all this stuff was coming it was i i tried to prepare myself for it but it's i mean i, I had to watch this twice and rewatch this episode for this podcast and it was just terrifying and, and horrible to watch sure sure well tom if you were better at video games there is a way that you saved them both so <laughs> yeah. unfortunately because you're a poor video game player they both had to die the other thing I, you know, if you think about these things for too long, they just make you sad. Uh, but I was thinking, like, what uh, Henry did for Sam, like, in terms of giving up Michael, in terms of mm-hmm. going on the run, like, all of that he did only for Sam to turn, 
him to kill him. Like right. the weight of that, of like, you know, I've you've done so much to try and like save your little brother only for this to be the outcome mm-hmm. would just be a devastating uh, and hopeless situation. So well, it's, it's similar uh, to Kathleen, right? Where Kathleen is just dead set on vengeance and that's all that she has. And I think even when like that bloater came out of the ground, Perry's trying to tell her like run and she could have run, but she decided to keep chasing Henry, which ultimately led to her demise as well. Right. So it's just kind of this idea of, whether it's vengeance or trying to do, you know, what you think is right in the moment, you know, may not necessarily be. And again, a lot of these characters are driven by that idea and concept that we've seen throughout the series thus far. We're only halfway through, but it's that concept of love and and what love makes people do. Sure, sure. And on this Valentine's Day, let's talk (laughs) about what love means. Anyways, Joel buries them, which I thought was an interesting, like Joel kind of being the guy that would, he would be the first one to just be like, leave them. Like we don't have mm-hmm. time. Um, but he takes the time to bury them. Uh, well, and I don't El- think he's doing this for himself, right? Like he certainly has a respect, I think for Sam and Henry, but we've seen Joel time and time again, understand the world that he lives in and wouldn't take the time as a sur- somebody's trying to survive and endure to do this. But I think he's doing this for Ellie to kind of give them some closure and just kind of show Ellie that, you know, there's still humanity in him. Oh, that's interesting because I took it as he was more invested because Ellie seems kind of over it. She like mm-hmm. she writes her note, but then she's like, all right, let's go. Like, I, I felt like, I don't know. I felt like Ellie was more casual about it than Joel was. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Episode was devastating. Thank you, Tom, for making me watch a show that makes me sad. And there's still hope for humanity. Uh, for those of you out there that are wondering when you watch the show. But a uh, great episode. I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word, but they just did it so well. Well acted, mm-hmm. well done. Hit you with, you know, anytime a show is willing to, like, make the tough choices in order to stay true to the story and, like, mm-hmm. what the world that they've built is, I think is interesting to watch. If this would have yeah. like turned out rosy where everyone high-fived and went their separate ways, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just don't think that's the world that we're living in in uh, this show. Yeah, and I think, again, what, what we'll see, and like we talked about time and time again, is all these people that are coming across the path of Joel and Ellie, even though, you know, like we said, they're, they don't really don't stay along for, alive for very long, which is unfortunate, but they're all you know, kind of adding puzzle pieces to their relationship and bring in Ellie and Joel closer and closer. And I would argue that this ca- this episode is likely the catalyst for Joel really seeing Ellie as kind of her, her like he is her father figure at this point mm-hmm. and understands that Henry was doing everything he can to save and keep Sam alive. And, you know, now after burying them both, Joel understands that this is what he has to do for Ellie. Sure, sure. Well, I mean... Great way to end a podcast. Super sad. Um, (laughs) So everyone go be sad. Thank you for joining (laughs) us. Uh, If you have questions or comments, if we miss stuff, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. Tom runs that. He doesn't let me have any of the info. Um, You can email us at teambingepodcast at gmail.com. We will be working through the rest of this show. I'm sure it will get happier and happier. 
uh, <laughs> all the way until March 15th when season three of Ted Lasso starts. But yeah, Tom, what did I miss? Yeah, again, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Team Binge or Team Binge Podcasts. Again, we appreciate you guys kind of joining along. It's always, always fun. And uh, again, I mean, this was a heart-wrenching episode. Knew it was coming, but I'm super excited for, for what's to come because I think this kind of lays the groundwork for a lot of interesting stuff moving forward. We'll be here for it. I have been Julian. And I have been Tom. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thunderclap. Awesome.